when New York City Ballet principal dancer Sarah Mearns steps into the spotlight, she goes for broke. So much so that she has earned the nickname Stage Animal. Sarah credits her bravery and confidence to her numerous childhood performances. We were always performing. Just being out there was so fun for me. I'm grateful that they had us out there on stage so much as a young person because I don't ever really get nervous when I go on stage. I can be whoever I want to be, and it's okay. No one can judge me, and no one can touch me. You're listening to Moving Moments, the podcast that explores the dance world's most accomplished and groundbreaking artists. I'm your host, Alicia Graf Mack, Dean and Director of Dance at the Juilliard School. During each episode, you'll hear me talk with some of my closest friends and most trusted colleagues as we sit down to hear about their creative process and how they are changing the dance world on and off the stage. In April 2019, I had the chance to catch the Merce Cunningham celebration the night of 100 solos at BAM on live stream. Oh my goodness. You stole the show for me. I will never forget you in that pink unitard. I know it's really hard. The work is very hard, and you did that. What was that evening like for you? Oh, gosh. When I got the call from Patricia Lent, who runs the Merce Cunningham Trust, actually, it was an email, and I was just in total shock, And but I immediately emailed back, and I was like, Yes. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. I don't know if I'm going to be good, but yes. <laughs> and I just said to myself, you know what? If you're going to do this, you can't like fake it. Mm. You're going to be surrounded by all these incredible dancers that have probably taken Cunningham for years. Mm. And, you know, you need to really step it up. So I basically took Cunningham classes for six months. I really just wanted to understand where the movement came from, I asked my friend Reed Bartome to come because I was so shy and so nervous. And then after class, I was like, it's a whole new world. <laughs> wow, my body feels crazy, but I like it mm. because you can't rely on anything else. Yes. You can't rely on a bar. You just rely on your own two feet and your own balance. And if you fall over, that's your problem. You got to <laughs> figure out how to stand up. Four days leading up, they got everybody into the studio. That was the first time. And we all just were really quiet. Again, in my head, I was like, why am I here? So like those four days of being together in the studio with everybody, it was so humbling because they were so incredible, but yet they were all really nervous. Mm. So, so we sort of all bonded in that way. And I remember the first solo I had was the really, really long one. And then I got to do Lose Time. And then there was another one I came off of, and I had to do really, really hard jumps. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Like, I, I've never nailed it. But something just takes over in performance where you're just like, no, you have no choice. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to do it. And I remember I, like, I stuck it, but then I wobbled a little bit. And I was like, hold it. Hold it, sir. You can hold it. You got it. <laughs> and I remember coming off stage from the really long one, and I went to the back hallway, and I started crying because I was like, I couldn't believe I just did that. So ever since then, I'm like, I bow down to Cunningham in every possible way. Yes. It's amazing to me what dancers do just to make these moments. Yeah. To think for six months you trained in this technique for yeah. two minutes. I know. Yeah, like, right? Three? Maybe and, maybe a little longer, but... Like, 
yeah. dancing wise, it was probably 10 minutes of dancing for okay. me. But it was spread out amongst like an hour and a half. But oh, there was this funny moment. So there's this green room where all the dancers, because we had such a long time sometimes in between our solos. Mm-hmm. So we'd go to this green room and watch it on the screen. And we were just all like in there, like laughing and having a great time. And then all of a sudden I look at the screen and I see the person I'm supposed to be. That's my cue to go on for my running solo. And I see them on stage and I'm like, oh, no. So I ran from the green room, literally onto the stage. It was amazing. It was so fun. Well, that that's what makes live performance yeah, exactly. interesting, right? <laughs> I hope we can use this conversation to get to the heart of the hows and the whys. You <laughs> live a life in dance and how you came to develop your artistry. So let's start with your upbringing. Where are you from and how did you start dancing? And is it something that you asked to do? It is not something I asked to do. I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. My mom just put me in dance when I was three, just because I was very active. So she just put me in a ballet class and she said that I was crying all the way in. But then my teacher, Miss Ann Brody, as soon as I got in the class, I was okay. And I stopped crying and everything was okay. It was everything to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any other extracurricular activities after school. It was just dance, 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 dance. And so I was there until I was age 12. She passed away when Mm. I was 12. So the studio closed down. Wow, that must Um, have been really difficult. Yeah, it was very, I mean, we were definitely all sad. But, you know, when when you're that young, you don't really understand what's going on Mm -hmm. or why. And, like, what are you going to do next? So at the time, my mom thought that there wasn't really another studio that was good enough in a way in mm-hmm. Columbia. So she did a research and she found Patricia McBride mm. in Charlotte, North Carolina. So she would drive me every day, Monday through Saturday, after school to Charlotte. Wow. And so I would do my homework in the car and we would then get home by eight o'clock at night and getting to have a two hour class with Patty, that's just like unreal, like every day. And at the time I didn't really know the epicness of her. She was just like an angel. It was so magical. And then something happened that year where I couldn't go back to the school. And it was around like March. So I had to leave that school. And then I found myself at home for three months by myself in my basement giving myself class. It was like the original pandemic. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. You were quarantined. <laughs> right? Now I know why I was so good at giving myself class during COVID. <laughs> yes. At 13, I was in the basement of my house because my uncle had built a dance studio down there. At the time, I was going to School of American Ballet summer course. So coming up was my second summer course. And I remember when I went there, they had noticed that I had gotten weaker. And then the following year, I went to governor school. So I was there for a year. And then... I realized that after that summer, I went to SAB again, and that was my fourth summer going. And I remember realizing that if I don't go to SAB year-round after this, I'm going to be done dancing. There's nothing back in South Carolina for Mm. me to move me forward to where I need to be professionally. So that was a really tough summer because... I was not asked to stay, so the last week I had asked them to stay. Um, Wait, say that again? <laughs> you asked them? <gasps> I asked the teachers at SAB for wow. me to stay. Wow, how, how are I you so Susie. brave to do that? Well, I just felt like 
this was it. This was my last chance. And that summer, I mean, the amount of talent that goes to those summer programs, Mm -hmm. I was definitely mid or bottom for sure. And that's why I had to take a chance to be like, this is it for me. And Susie Prolar was like, all right, we'll make it work. I always sort of tell it that way just because it's like, sometimes you just have to like jump off a cliff and take that chance. And it's crazy at such a young age that you have to do that. But also having to make a professional decision at such a young age, mm-hmm. it's crazy to me. Yeah. But looking back, it's like it's it made me stronger and it made me like, no, 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 I am in this 150%. Mm-hmm. This is what I have to do with my life. And I have to be here in New York to do it. Internally or spiritually or physically, what did dance do for you as a young person? I mean, growing up at Cover Brody, we had so many recitals that we would do. We were always performing. It was just getting out there and being out there was so fun for me. Performing became home to me. I'm grateful that they had us out there on stage so much as a young person because I don't ever really get nervous when I go on stage. I can be whoever I want to be and Mm. feel whatever I want to feel, and it's okay. No one can judge me, and no one can touch me. But obviously, when you're young, you don't, like, think these things. But when I think back, like, that's, I think, what I was going You felt at home. Yeah. Hence the stage animal. There it is. Title has been there all along. (laughs) I watched a video of you at 15 years old competing in the Youth America Grand Prix. Did you know at that time that you had the makings of being a star ballerina? No. (laughs) I was cut in the second round of YGP. Oh, really? (laughs) I mean, that was the first year that YGP happened. Mm. Um, I remember. It was year 2000. And again, that was like my teacher just wanted me to be part of it just to get out there and be Mm -hmm. in front of these judges. I watched that video once, and it's terrifying to me. (laughs) It's terrifying. I used that experience of like, all right, I didn't make it in that, but I made it as a professional dancer. So we all start like that, you know, kind of like Bambi legs. Right. (laughs) All of the elements are there. They just aren't coordinated yet. Yeah. And I try to tell young ladies and boys when they're doing these competitions is it's not about the end game. Not everybody's going to win. One person's going to win. And you never know why they're going to win. You don't know what the judges are looking at. So just because you get cut doesn't mean you're not going to make it as a professional dancer. Did you have role models that you looked towards? Did you have posters in your rooms or watch DVDs and maybe VHS tape? Who were those people for you? Yes, I had one... And I've talked about this a lot before, but one of my major, major role models is Natalia Makarova, like top for me. And speaking of VHS tapes, her Swan Lake tape, I still have it to this day. It came out, I think, when I was 10, or I started watching it when I was 10. And I still, I haven't stopped watching it. Every time I do Swan Lake, I watch it. You ultimately joined New York City Ballet as an apprentice in 2003, which I realize now you're coming up on your 20th year anniversary. Is that right? (laughs) You started performing featured roles soon thereafter. How did you make this quick ascent? In the moment, it did not seem quick. Mm. I will tell you, the first two years were very rough for me. You know, when you get in as an apprentice, you are considered the top of the school. And... When you get in the company as an apprentice, you are 
back down at the bottom again. Yes. It really affected me. And I lost all my confidence. And there was a point where it was basically said that we don't know if this is the right place for you. I got a letter saying that. And also I had a meeting. And I don't know if it was them actually meaning it or if it was just them to like light a fire in mm-hmm. front of it. But that meeting in Saratoga, I'll never forget. And they sent me home for like three months after that. I don't remember what I did. I sometimes went down to the dance studio in my house and would sit there. I really have no recollection. I came back for Nutcracker and then they started rehearsing like diverse mods for Swan Lake and whatever. And I was starting to get called for that. And then one day the rehearsal schedule went up and my name was at the top by itself with a rehearsal with Mara Ashley. It's like, what? And I started asking people, I was like, what is this? And they're like, Sarah, it's for the swan. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not happening. Obviously, I had some really bad moments and times, but then it sort of like came together. Came together. Yeah. There it's is bumpy. no ebb without a flow. Right. You, know, you can't just... You can't just go straight up. That's no, not the way life outside, works. outside, it looks right. like that, right? That's because true. it's such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But I feel like at New York City Ballet, like a year of dancing is like three years somewhere <laughs> else. You know, there's so much that happens that, and the turnaround can be so quick with injuries and then mm-hmm. people are going in and, it, you know, just takes a couple of weeks or a couple of ballets and yeah. then, you know, you're ready. What is your... What is your creative process when you know you have something to learn or a project ahead of you? What have you learned about yourself that works? One thing that is, I think, different with New York City Ballet than most other companies, like I was saying, is that we have so many ballets we have to get on the stage and so little time to get them on. When I got in the company as an apprentice, we had a balancing celebration happening and there was something crazy like 70 ballets we had to get on the stage and there was one day where we learned a ballet from four to six and we performed it at eight that's how crazy it was but rosemary dunleavy is the head ballet mistress and she is epic it's like a rolodex of ballets in her head she has Mm -hmm. every single balancing ballet in her head and she knows all the counts and she can tell you anything at any time and the way that she was able to teach us it wasn't scary we knew the ballet from four to six, we learned it and we mm-hmm. were good and we could go on stage at eight o'clock and be great. Like that's how crazy and good she was at teaching us. Wow. And I think that because I had that experience, it carried over into everything else. But I think when it comes to like collaborating, those processes take much longer because we're creating something new from the ground up and we don't want to be hurried. We don't want to have a clock on us. And you know this, like working, every choreographer works differently. Yes. And you sort of just have to get on their train. I've learned that also with all these different people I've worked with. You can't butt heads in that way. Mm -hmm. Like they have a way of working Mm -hmm. and you just have to be okay with it. And you'll learn something too from it. Like you will work a different way. And that's great. You shouldn't just work one way. The renowned choreographer, Alexei Ratmansky, calls you a stage animal, and I have to wholeheartedly agree. What about working with him makes you want to achieve whatever his vision is? Oh, Alexi. (laughs) He's the first choreographer that came in and gave me a principle 
original principal role. It was after I got promoted to principal. It was 2009. I had a back injury the first half of the year of 2009. And then I was coming back and he was creating a new work. And it was his third work with the company. And I was the first rehearsal for him. And it was terrifying. And it was my first rehearsal back from my back injury. And it was just me by myself. And it was only like an hour long. And it was Namuna. He taught me that solo in an hour. It was all in his brain. It was all done. And he taught it to me. He literally showed all the steps to me because that's who he is because he can still do it. And I remember my leotard color was light green. And by the end of the hour, it was dark green. Like I was like done. So he had created the whole ballet in three weeks because he had it done in his brain. And it was fascinating. I couldn't believe I was on the stage with Wendy Whalen and Jennifer Ringer together as this trio. I was like, this is nuts. And it was such a big, big ballet. And he would always be like, no, no, Sarah, we don't need you. No, you can go home. Nope, you're good. And I was like, okay, I don't really feel like I'm in it. Like, this is weird. <laughs> but then when we like sat down and we did the ballet full, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I okay. get why. Okay, <laughs> I have that solo. All right, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> like, don't give me anything else. We're good. And that solo still seems impossible to me. The steps don't scare me, just like how tired I'm going to mm -hmm. get in that short amount of time because it's all jumping and what he asks of you is like a hundred percent more than you can give. But then you somehow go out there and try to do it. And I remember after the first one, he wanted me to land standing up at one point. And I was like, I have to end the solo on the floor. So we landed, like I ended on the floor and I didn't get up and I just like rolled to the side. <laughs> and he came, he looked at me with this like little like sheepish smile and his like his face was red. And he was like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's it. He had done his research with all of the dancers and mm. knew exactly how far to push them to make them shine. I am a perfectionist just like him, and he can come backstage and tell me that I didn't have a good show. And he'll correct me for like 20 minutes after a show. And he'll know I'll take it, and I'll work on it, and I'll do it better for the next show. Typically, when you leave the stage, how are you feeling? Are you on a high? Are you feeling relieved? I mean, let's be honest. I don't know if there's any show where I'm like, I nailed that. <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened. But there's definitely shows that I remember that I'm like, wow, okay, I did that. I don't think it's ever going to happen like that again. That was something magical, really special. But I think most of the time now I've had to get to that place where it's like, You've put all the work in. You've climbed this mountain to get to where you are. I think you need to calm down a little bit and just be yourself. Don't go out there and try to prove to people. People are now appreciating me for who I am as a person, as a dancer, and they've seen me in all which ways, and I don't have to be anything else. So I think now I'm coming off stage more being like, okay, that was okay. Like, it wasn't perfect, but it's live performance. It's never going to go like you thought it was going to. Yeah. I actually heard that when Suzanne Farrell coached you, mm -hmm. she suggested that you create multiple options. Yes. She told me that you have to rehearse options for what's going to happen. And I was like, that's amazing and epic and the best advice I've ever gotten mm. in my career. I mean, you can see that in her dancing and her tapes. It doesn't 
look preconceived. She's just literally doing what she is in the moment. Like it's so in the moment, like she's nowhere else. And whatever's happening, she's dealing with. I was always put into her roles mm. and I sort of, I think it was seen that I was relating to the music in the same way and dramatic in the same way and sort of over the top. And I don't necessarily look like the perfect ballerina. It was just like I was dancing it just like she would. So yeah, rehearse options and just know that what you rehearsed is not going to happen. I'm going to do things I've never done before <laughs> and it's terrifying and scary, but it's also really fun and... Mm vulnerable and just I think you need to like go along for the ride in that way yeah and see what happens yeah Sarah I consider you the ultimate concert dance crossover queen I'll coin that for you yes. concert dance crossover queen because you seem to thrive in new and interesting dance environments whether it's modern dance or on film or on Broadway and I'm sure other sorts of artistic collaborations what drives you to want to explore when you have time I think this came from my early years in the company. I was sort of put in the balancing bubble where I wasn't picked by any of the choreographers that would come in. I wasn't put up for them. They just were like, she can do this really well, so that's what she's going to do. Which, I mean, I can't complain. Like, I dance some of the best ballads in the world. It's just there was a part of me that was like, man, I wish I was able to like be in that studio and work with that person and see what it was like and see if, can I move my body a different way? Can I think about dance in a different way? So in 2014, I was reached out by somebody at Dance Space and they invited me to be part of this platform and I was chosen to work with Jody Melnick. And uh, it was the first thing that I had done outside of ballet or New York City ballet and she was getting me to dance barefoot in silence improv all these things and I was like this is terrifying but it was so exhilarating I I was surprised at myself that I was actually enjoying it and that I wanted to do more of it I think it was because of her she knew what she was working with mm -hmm. she knew that I was new but she made me feel okay about it so then I continued on with her. I, I asked to do a residency with her at Jacob's Pillow. Mm. And then that sort of just like snowballed into everything that I do now. It's like I'm hungry for other experiences. And it, and it disrupts my nerves patterns. At the ballet, your body has to move a certain way. And mm -hmm. that's great because that's what we have to achieve. But then your body gets stuck. And I think it's really good to then go experience something else and your body starts to breathe a mm -hmm. little bit. Someone joked that... I become a modern dancer on my layoffs. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not a joke. That's, that's, that's actually <laughs> that's real. That's actually for that's real. That's what happens. Working with someone like Jody, working with someone like Bobby Jean, you're not just discovering a new style, but you are learning other facets of yourself that yeah. you can bring to all of your work. Like I remember Jody, the, re the first residency I did with her, at one point I couldn't understand what she was asking me to do. And I just sat down. I was like, I can't do this. I don't understand what you want me to do. I don't get it. But she let me do that. She let me go through this period of not getting it and being frustrated. And then she said, you know, when you go out on stage, don't have to be more than yourself. Just step on stage. And I remember I took that back and I literally put that into diamonds. When I step out for the potata, I would used to like step out and feel like I had to like puff up. 
like every light is on in this theater. <laughs> I am covered in jewels. Like you can't get bigger than that. Yes. <laughs> and the music, I'm like, what am I trying to do? No, mm -hmm. just step on stage and be you. Sometimes it takes a couple of things to get you there. And it takes a lot of maturity too. Yeah. You know, it's just learning yourself as a yeah. person, as a woman. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a whole another conversation, okay. life conversation. That's true. <laughs> yes, I know you've had two serious back injuries. The first time for six months after mm -hmm. becoming a principal, and another in 2012 that kept you away for eight months. Mm -hmm. What was happening in your body, and how did you find your way back? Basically, what was happening is that I did not take care of my body like I should have. I have no one else to blame but myself, and they were both muscular. There wasn't anything wrong structurally or mm -hmm. skeletal or nerves, which I'm very, very grateful for. You know, there comes a time where it's like you have this workload and you're trying to sustain it and you're doing it. But then you're literally just like destroying your body mm -hmm. in the process. And you don't have to. You can have that workload that I had, but I can also go to PT and mm -hmm. go get massages and like rest and do what I need to do to stay there. And that's what led me to the eight month one. And I had doctors being like, we don't know what's wrong with you. We don't know what's going on. And I'm like, something's going on. Like I can't walk without my back spasming. There's something wrong. But that's what, it, like they couldn't find anything wrong. So your body was screaming at you. Just, yeah. I just need to rest. <laughs> yeah. Or like find somebody that can put you back together again, which I am thankful that I did. I met somebody a hockey player at the gala and he had a doctor and he was like, you have to go see him. And I was like, okay, I'll try anything. I went and saw him and he's a sports therapist and he got me back to the stage in a month. Okay. What was the process? It what was just literally every muscle in my stomach, in my hips were so screwed up and so tight and so twisted mm -hmm. that my back was in spasm. So that was a huge wake up call in a way of being like your body is gold. You have nothing without it. And then I started cross-training. In 2017, I started cross-training with uh, Joel Prouty. That changed everything. When I was doing my research to make sure I was prepared for this interview, <laughs> I watched this video on Instagram, and I had watched a couple other videos mm -hmm. um, because I follow other ballerinas who are also trained by mm -hmm. Joel. And my husband is a former professional football player. And I said, look at this ballerina. What's <laughs> What she's doing. <laughs> and you were doing like a squat into an arabesque, uh -huh. like a full squat into an arabesque with these this heavy barbell across your shoulders. Uh -huh. And he was like, what the holy heck? <laughs> and I was like, that's Sarah Mertens. <laughs> How that's did you get into this sort of training? It seems so daunting. It was in the beginning. It was around 2017. Instagram was like just becoming a big thing. And I posted something that my back had gone out again. It was actually, <laughs> I was supposed to do an Alexi ballet. I was supposed to do Odessa. And it was so backy and jumping. And something had gone out in my back. And I was like, oh, I can't do the show. And I, t I think I posted something about it. And he messaged back and he was like, all right, I am tired of seeing you get injured. Then I was like, you know what? I just have to bite the bullet. I just have to do this. I need to do this for my body. So we had that first session and afterwards I was like, I'm hooked. I'm, I don't know. I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but I'm doing it. It was so hard, but you know, <laughs> the videos that he posts 
are the very end of the <laughs> hour session, right? The it first was, half yeah. of the session is literally so boring. In a way, it's like we're doing so many squats, so many things. It's not quote unquote interesting and doesn't look impressive, but there's this method to the madness, right? And it took a long time for me to get to that point to do that, but I immediately felt a change. And cross training got a bad rep because people are like, well, you're going to get bigger. You know, I was like, going to ask you that. That's actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about because yeah. when I was dancing, there were things that just were a no-no for a ballerina, doing anything that could build bulky muscles, right. like working out or mm -hmm. jogging or riding a bike. And when I went through my injuries with my knees and things like mm -hmm. that, of course, you cross-train to get your body yeah. back into shape. And right. I realized this is such a myth. I needed to be doing this all along because you use just a specific set of muscles, especially in ballet, mm -hmm. that is unnatural to the anatomy. Yes. So then once you work parallel or you build muscle strength that is 360 around your leg and not just your hamstring. Right. It strengthens everything. It makes so much sense. I'm so glad that now this generation of dancers are learning how to use cross-training methods. Yeah. The other thing that we rarely talked about when I was dancing was mental health and taking care of one's well-being. How do you feel the dance world is changing or not to honor each individual artist? I mean, this is happening just recently. I don't think it was ever spoken about or a subject at all, that was not something we talked about. And if someone was going through something, they kept it private. I was always scared of that. And I was like, well, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm always okay. And then COVID happened. And then coming back from COVID happened. And then I just, I was done. I had nothing left in me, burnt out. I was writing things in my journal, like in my therapy journal saying I was nobody. You never saw me weak. And I felt like I had to live up to that. Like mm. I always had to be this strong thing when I go out there. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I couldn't even believe that I was telling John that I needed to step away. And if I didn't, I don't think I could keep dancing or that it was I was going to be okay. We've had a couple of other dancers go through things, but it wasn't really talked about. And I think people were scared to talk about it. But I guess when I finally said something on social, it did become a bigger topic that, you know, a top ballerina can fall off and talk about it in her way and, and be vulnerable about it. And I've had people come up to me and they were like, oh my God, thank you so much for doing that. You're so brave. Blah, blah. I'm like, I don't think I'm brave, but we're a human and this is going to happen. I didn't think that was going to happen to me. As artists, we have so much more information on how to take care of our bodies right. than how to take care of our mental health. Right. And it's the same body. It's all in the <laughs> same right. machine. It's all connected. It's all connected. Well, we've been told to like keep it together. Right. Right. Or and you're told... Leave your issues at the door and right. come in and dance. Right. And that's a very right. romanticized way of thinking yes. about yes. how we work. Yes. And as a dancer, we're trained to just keep going. Yep. Right? Yeah. 
we're trained that the dance life is short, take advantage of every right. moment. And so. that, was, that was the mm-hmm. the tape running in my head. Every day I would walk to work and I'd be crying and being like, no, Sarah, just be grateful that you have a job. Be grateful that you have this career. Just be grateful that you're healthy. And I would be crying, saying that to myself on the way to work, like bullying myself doing this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what was I doing? Yes, of course I'm grateful to have a job and to work. Yes, of course. But there's something else that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, well, I'm glad that you are feeling more <laughs> of yourself and living life like it's golden and and having tools because it's a practice, right? Yes. There's no final destination. You're not going to wake up one day and just say, now I'm a joyful, happy person. <laughs> right. On stage, you're intense. You're larger than life. Who is Sarah off stage? Oh, my gosh. I am... Definitely a different person. I'm very shy, very shy socially. Megan Fairchild always jokes. She's like, Sarah, you need to go out and socialize. You need to go out and be with people. You can't just go home. <laughs> like I was saying before, for some reason, the stage allows me to be who I want to be. I think because I leave so much out there on stage, so much of myself that... I don't really have much Mm. after or during the day. So much of me is out there or in the work that I'm putting into. But I'm just very goofy. Mm. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, I don't like to disrupt anything. I just want to be quiet. Well, you can unleash the stage animal. Stage animal (laughs) can't be out all the time. Sarah, is there anything else you want to talk about? Is there anything you're masterminding for... Your future. <laughs> <laughs> Masterminding. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. I mean, I I definitely have projects that I'm working on that will be on a larger scale. I think I just need to keep going on this journey that I'm on. And so I say yes to things, and then that leads to something else. And I just have to keep going. That's a That's beautiful it. life philosophy. <laughs> It'll keep your life interesting. Always. That's true. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. It's been really fun to sit here and talk to you. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moving Moments. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up with future episodes, follow us on Instagram at movingmomentspodcast and visit us at artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist's moving moments.